Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. So good to be with you this morning, to be in the, the presence of the Lord. And, and I hope you came with expectant hearts. That's why we pray, you know, that every time we gather, that when you come through these doors, you come ready to engage with the Lord and come with a heart that, that God's Spirit is going to move in this place with us as a church and as you as an individual. And uh, I pray that for now as we dive into his word. And so if you are... In John chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 19, and we're going to read through verse 22. So John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Lord, we just thank you this morning, Lord. We pray that you would stand among us this morning and that you would breathe on us and your Holy Spirit once again. Anoint this time, Lord. Anoint your word. Anoint me, Lord, as I desire just to speak your words and what is not of you, Lord, may it just disappear. And Lord, just may this, your word go out in power for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I want you to picture with me the scene that's right here laid out for us in this text. And, you know, we've been meditating over the past few weeks uh, on the significance of Jesus, the God incarnate, dying the death that we should have died, paying the penalty that we should have paid Jesus you know, the, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. You and I, we're, we're growing daily in this knowledge, letting it shape us as we seek to walk the path that God has for each and every one of us, like Pastor Ted reminded us last week as we looked at John chapter 21 and Jesus' interaction with the disciples and with Peter. But we today, we continue to glory in the death and the resurrection of our Savior now almost 20 centuries later. But just put yourself, though, for a moment in the sandals of the disciples at this point. They're mere days, let's say mere hours, from the event that would shape all humanity from this point forward. It is now Sunday evening. Jesus has been, had just been crucified two days before. How were they processing what had happened in that past few days? It was, it was fresh. It was raw. And when Jesus came and stood among them, what, was, what do you think their state of mind was? Well, we know that they were afraid. It says so there. And at the end of verse 19, it says that they were behind locked doors because of the fear of the Jews. And we, we know 
there were probably many reasons that they were afraid. And the most obvious reason was that they had been associated with Jesus as his disciples. We know that Jesus, he had ruffled a lot of feathers. And on the surface, this might have looked like some kind of failed attempt at bringing some kind of religious revolution. And all except Peter and John had, had deserted Jesus as he was taken before the trial courts. But then remember the story of Peter as well. He, he caves when that young servant girl comes and asks him, you know, aren't you also a disciple of Jesus? And Peter has predicted, you know, he denies three times. Nope, nope, that's not me. Got the wrong guy. You must be, must be thinking of somebody else, you know, guilt by association. And, and now adding fuel to the fire, Jesus's body has disappeared. You know, Mary had told him that, that she had seen the risen Lord, but when Peter and John went to the tomb, it was empty. And then we read in Matthew's gospel that the guards had been paid off to say that his body had been stolen. And guess who the chief suspects were for stealing the bodies? Well, it was, of course, it was going to be the disciples. So it's no wonder that they are afraid behind this locked door. We could probably add some confusion to this scene. Someone in the group is probably piecing together you know, uh, things like, didn't Jesus tell us that he was going to be delivered up to the scribes and to the Pharisees? But then did he also tell us that he would not leave us as orphans, that he would come for us? And, but what about what Mary saw? You know, that's going around the room and people are talking and arguing and having conversations. She said he has risen, but we only saw the empty tomb and now they say his body's stolen. Confusion, questions, you know, and let's not forget the guilt. There's probably a lot of guilt to go around. Couldn't we have done more to stop this all from happening? You know, all all the what ifs, everybody's, you know, what if we didn't done this? We abandoned him when he needed us the most, fear, confusion, guilt. This is the picture before us as we dive into our study this morning. The title of today's message is Sent by God, Sent by God. And in these verses, we're going to see that Jesus will introduce a paradox, paradigm shift, a whole new plan and purpose. But before you get there, I want to, I want to talk about an important underlying idea that was accomplished for you and I at the cross. And that is in the words of Jesus as he stood in their midst, as he stood among them, he said, peace be with you. The end of of verse 19, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Everything begins with the peace of God. He is our peace. Romans 5.10 says that we were enemies with God. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And he comes and he says, peace be with you. He is our peace. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And then you go down to verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Peace be with you. The disciples were afraid. They were confused. They, they were feeling guilty because they, they had cowardly denied Jesus. And now he stands among them and he says, peace be with you. Not I told you so or, hey, guys, where were you when I really needed you? You should all be ashamed of yourself deserting me like that. Not even one witness at the trial. You could have been there with me. No, he says, peace 
be with you. He himself is our peace. He has broken down that dividing wall of hostility through the cross. And I, and I think the disciples were starting to grasp all of this as he says there in verse 20 that they, it says they, they were glad when they saw his hands and they, they saw his side. Jesus had conquered death and brought peace between God and man. This is a significant thought for us this morning to, to really meditate on. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And the reason it's important is because Jesus says it twice. Verse 21, peace be with you again. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And just as a general rule, whenever we see anything repeated in the Bible, we stop and we take note. Why has it been repeated? You know, repetition as a a literary device is very common in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, also here in our New Testament, peace be with you, not only as an antidote to my fear and anxiety, my guilt and my shame, but that wall of hostility, and let's not forget who the hostile ones were in that scenario, that that wall has come down and we have access this morning to the throne room of grace. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we need to be told twice, right? We need to be told twice that Jesus holds out his nail-scarred hands and says, come, even when we don't deserve it, when we are afraid, when we are confused, when we are feeling guilty. Jesus speaks peace into our situation because he is our peace. And now this life-giving, life-changing truth only made possible by the cross of Christ is the foundation for the mission that Jesus calls his disciples to and in, in turn is calling us to this morning as well. Jesus, not only, Jesus is not only reconciling us to himself, but he is calling us into a ministry and mission of reconciliation. As, Father, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even, even so I am sending you. So building on that foundation, that foundation of peace, with God. I want to, uh, the, the whole point, of course, of Good Friday, the joy of the resurrection Sunday, let's, let's move on and let's, let's look at what it means to be sent by God. And just like Pastor Nick does every week, I just want to give you a sentence that will help us remember some key points about what it means to be sent by God. And that's just as Jesus was sent by the Father, he has now sent us on the same mission, the same posture, by the same spirit, to the same people. Once again, just as Jesus was sent by the Father, he has now sent us on the same mission with the same posture by the same Spirit to the same people. So let's just begin there with that first part, just as Jesus was sent by the Father. Now, there are 34 verses in the Gospel of John which deal with Jesus being sent by the Father, and I think they're up there on the screen, a lot of them. So they're in your version app. If you have your phone, you have the version app. It's, it's in there as well in case you can't write this fast. But that's no small list of verses, right, that tell us, that describe to us who sent Jesus, why he was sent, what he was sent to do, and to whom he was sent. And as, and as we look at those sent verses, and we're not going to look at every, each and every one. We're going we're gonna to look at various ones. But as we look at these in the context of the Gospel of John, and even in the broader sense of the whole Bible, they, they reveal to us a God who is a missionary God. And that quality of missionary is vital to the very nature of the triune God that we worship. And we can conclude then that the apostolic mission 
in John chapter 20, verse 21, is a reflection of God's own nature and character. You know, the gospel of John, as you read through it, presents a story that reveals a God that has always been reaching down, seeking and desiring to dwell among his people, reaching across barriers, breaking down barriers, a missionary God. God reaching down because we could not or would not reach up. And if the nature of the triune God is to reach out, to go, and to send, what is the calling for those of us who have responded and repented and believed on the name of Jesus and are now his image bearers, true worshipers, worshiping in spirit and in truth, the ones that the Father is seeking, right? John chapter 4. What is our natural next step then but to do the will of the one who has sent us and accomplish his work in the world as ambassadors, co-laborers on mission with the creator, on mission with the creator of the universe. That's amazing. We can see that the commissioning here of, of the disciples here in John chapter 21 was preceded by the commissioning of Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. So what did Jesus come to do? Well, it's, it was right there. We read, we've looked there. He, he did not come with a ministry of condemnation, but a ministry of reconciliation. John chapter three, verse 34, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God. John 4.34, John said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 6.29, Jesus answered him, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus was sent to this world to do the will of the Father, to speak the words of God so that all might believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and be saved and reconciled to God. Jesus prayed this in John 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So when Jesus came and he stood among them and showed them his hands and his side, he had accomplished all that the Father had sent him to do. His declaration in verse 21 is an echo of his prayer in John chapter 17, verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And this brings us to the second part of our sentence. Just as Jesus was sent by the Father, he has sent us on the same mission. Now, let's understand something here. When, when Jesus spoke to his disciples here in John chapter 20, verse 21, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you, they would not have been taken off guard by some kind of disconnected sentence or some brand new revelation. Yeah, given the, the fog of all of this, the events surrounding the past weekend is probably starting to clear a little bit now that Jesus is in their midst and, and the implications of all those events and that all, of, all that had gone before, probably all that Jesus said is starting to, to come into focus because Jesus had spent three years 
Three years of ministry and discipleship, laying the groundwork and bringing context to this declaration that he gives them in John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus had articulated repeatedly what, he, what it meant to be sent. Again, in John chapter 17, verse 8, Jesus prayed, for I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Now, we can grant this to the disciples. They probably had no idea or had never, would have never envisioned the events of the past couple of days. We can give them that. They had listened, of course. They had watched. They had asked questions. They had scratched their heads when Jesus did and said things that didn't make sense. But, but none of it really made sense, or at least it was started to make sense until Jesus stood there amongst them and said, peace be with you. And he showed them his hands and his side. You know, little did they know that everything had been leading up to this point. Three years of walking with Jesus, the chaos and the confusion of the past week, it had all led to this place. Now Jesus is telling them, I have prepared you for this time. I'm sending you out to do the will of God, to speak the words of God so that all might believe that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, and be saved and reconciled to God. The same mission and the same message. And a mission, a message that Jesus had modeled for them. He had modeled for them. As the, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. This was a new commission, but it was not a new mission. Jesus had set the example. He had given them the words to speak. And I, and I think the, the important lesson for us to take away from that is I think we can overcomplicate things sometimes when we talk about the mission of the gospel. We live it out the mission of reconciliation that, that all of us have been called to in this room, each and every one who calls Jesus our Lord. We should always start, though, with Jesus and his works and his words. He is our example always. And one of the greatest examples that Jesus set for us was that was his posture towards others. This brings us to the next part of our sentence. Jesus, as, just as Jesus was sent by the Father, he has now sent us on the same mission with the same posture. Remember I told you that there are 34 verses. We saw them there up on the screen in the Gospel of John, speaking to the sentness of Jesus. And Jesus provides an example for us of the how and the why and the what. And, and we are given a, a great window into his relationship with the, God the Father as it pertains to authority and submission and obedience and power and purpose, laying out for us a, a divine example for us to follow as we step into the Great Commission as co-laborers and for, and for the gospel. One of the greatest examples, I think, that Jesus modeled for us is that of posture. As you meditate on these sent verses in the Gospel of John, you'll be hard-pressed to find you know, a lot said about specific methodologies for gospel mission, but you will find a lot said about posture. First and foremost, Jesus modeled the posture of a servant. John 13. You know it well. Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that his journey to the cross for the salvation of mankind was about to begin, he lays aside his outer garments and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. Again, probably for the disciples, one of those head-scratching moments like, Lord, what on earth are you doing? They didn't understand. And Jesus realized that. He tells them in verse 7 of chapter 13, he says, what I am doing, you do not understand. Now, but afterward, you will understand. 
And then he goes on in verse 12 of chapter 13. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. As those who are sent our posture to our friends and our enemies. And remember, Judas was in the room. Jesus watched the feet of Judas, of Judas you know, as a posture towards our friends and enemies as one of a servant. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. Over and over again, we see the themes of obedience and submission are found in these sent passages that we put up on the screen. To, to take on the character of God is to take on the character of a servant. And if I'm being honest with you this morning, I think this has been one of the greatest failures of the church and in many ways continues to be the biggest failure of the church. Through the centuries, the church has failed to, to have the posture of a servant and a posture of love. We, we've, we've come across many times as a clanging symbol, as the apostle Paul said, because we have not love. You know, in our fight for truth and the integrity of the gospel, which are all important things, we have failed at times to have a posture of a servant and of love. The world knows us more for what we are against than what we are for. And we can be more concerned with our rights and see servanthood as a weakness where God sees it as a starting point for his divine mission of reconciliation. I remember having lunch with a prominent pastor once, uh, pastor once and he had ordered a, a latte and he had specifically told the waiter that he wanted it really hot. Well, when she brought the latte, it was not hot enough for this particular pastor. And, and instead of keeping quiet or just sending it back and, you know, saying, you know, could you just make it a bit hotter? No, he had to berate her in front of everybody for not knowing how to follow simple instructions about making, you know, his coffee as hot as he wanted it. And, uh, you know, at that point, I was embarrassed to be called a human, let alone a Christian, and, and this, that's maybe a trivial, trivial example of, of, of a church that has lost what it means to be called a servant. And sadly, I can tell many stories, and I'm probably guilty myself. We can still fight for truth. We can still be true, live a life true to the gospel, but yet have a posture of a servant, posture of love, even in our everyday interactions with people. And you know, it's sad to see how Christians these days, they interact on social media, not only with the world, but with, with each other, with other Christians. In our day and age of keyboard warriors and discernment ministries, there seems to be a great lack of servanthood and love, a lot of clanging symbols happening out there. You know, some time ago when I was studying John 13, I, I, wrote, these, I wrote these words in, in, in the margin Next to verses two through four, and it says, I don't know when I read, wrote them, but it says, identity secure, referring to Jesus. You know, in verse two, it says that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, and we shouldn't skip over that too lightly. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And then he goes on in verse three, he says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, 
He rose from supper. He laid, outside, laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And of course, he proceeds to wash their feet. And so the question then is for us is, are you secure in your identity as one who is loved by God? As one who is a child of God, who even though you were hostile towards God, he took the initiative and broke down that wall of hostility and redeemed us. You know, we were having a great discussion in our Worship Matters class on Friday night, and someone brought up the scene recorded for us in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah, he's given a glimpse into, into, into heaven and the worship that's happening around the throne of God. And when, when Isaiah re- realizes who he is in light of who God is, he cries out, he says, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. But then I love, I love Isaiah's response then in verses 8 and 9. He says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and, and who will go for us? And he said, here I am. Send me. What a great response. What a great mission response. In light of all God is and what he has done for us, our posture towards him is one of obedience. And our posture to the world we are sent into is one of humbleness, servanthood, and love because we go secure in our identity as redeemed and loved servants of God because we do not go alone, powerless into this mission field. And when you leave this building today, you are going into the mission field. No, we have the spirit of God in us. We have the spirit of God. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you, going on in verse 21 and 22, When he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And this brings us to the next part of our sentence. Just as Jesus was sent by the Father, he has now sent us on the same mission with the same posture by the same Spirit. Now, John was careful in his words here. When he writes that Jesus breathed on them, he is making a very strong reference to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where we read that God breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature, speaking of Adam. The implication is, and I believe, that this is where the disciples became born again, new creations in Christ. This is why it's such an important passage of Scripture for us to meditate on here today. So much going on in these verses. Christ is risen. He has conquered sin and death. The Holy Spirit is received. His disciples are born again, and a new mission is given. What a turning point for them, for history, for us. Just as uh, Paul spells it out for us, for us a bit better in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, he says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Just as we sang this morning, the same Spirit that, that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Lives in us. Back in John chapter 14, Jesus had begun already to in, encourage them and teach them teach the disciples they would not be left alone, that the Holy Spirit would come to dwell with them and in them. He would, the Holy Spirit would then teach them all things and bring to remembrance all that Jesus had taught them. And then in chapter 16 of John, Jesus tells them that the Holy Spirit, he will be the one that will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, and he will guide them in all truth. In our text today, Jesus not only brought peace and a new mission, but the power and the means to accomplish that mission 
He had told the disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come for you. Secure in our identity, in our identities as new creations in Christ, as servants of God, he has sent us now into the world as ambassadors and co-laborers with a message of reconciliation. This brings us to the last and final part of our sentence. Just as Jesus was sent by the Father, he has now sent us on the same mission with the same posture by the same spirit to the same people. Remember our question from earlier, if the nature of the triune God is to reach out, to go, and to send, what then is our calling? For those of us who, are, who have responded, who have repented, believed on the name of Jesus, what is our natural next step but to do the will of God who has sent us, right? And accomplish his work in this world as ambassadors, co-laborers, on mission with the creator of the universe. It's the natural outworking of our sanctification process while abiding in Christ, in Jesus, to be sent out, empowered by him, sharing the gospel message we ourselves have responded to as ambassadors, as divine emissaries. But who? Who are we going to? Who, who are we being sent to? Again, we look to Jesus as our example. John 3.16 says, he was sent to the whole world. He was sent to the whole world. But Matthew 15 says, said, that he has been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. But as we read through the gospel of John, and we also study the life and ministry of Jesus in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see that even though Jesus' primary mission, yes, was to the house of Israel, there was a lot of history there. His interactions, his miracles, and his parables were for the benefit of all. And this would be a paradigm shift This would be for the disciples. Up until this point, Israel had been operating under the mandate of of Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3, which says, and nations shall come to your light, referring to Israel, and kings to the brightness of your rising. But now they would be called to be lights, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well, to go into the world as lights to the nations. You know, the disciples just a week ago they, they had hoped that Jesus would overthrow the Romans. That was, their, that was their whole goal. But here, now, Jesus is calling them actually to go to Rome. That would be like mind-blowing for them. It was a, this was certainly a change in perspective. But again, Jesus had modeled it throughout his ministry, serving not only the Jews, not only the Gentiles, the weak, the poor, and the marginalized. As the Father has sent me, even so... I am sending you. You know, Lord, help us to see the world as you see it, to see the people as you see people, to love people as you love them, to serve them as you serve them, that our hearts will be broken for the things that break yours, Lord. And our priorities line up for what really matters to you, you know? So what does that that look like for you today as we bring this to a close? What does that look like for you today? How has the mission of Jesus on this earth changed your view of the world? Some of us are called, some of us are called to go across the street. Some of us are called to go across the world, and many of you have. And that's the DNA of this church, if you haven't figured it out already. And it's in our name. It's in our name. You know, this, the, the mission of this church is to know God and to make him known here in Longmont and abroad. It's, it's taken from John 4.35. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white 
for harvest. In Matthew 9, 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Are you one of those laborers today? Is God sending you out into the harvest? Now, Jesus here was speaking of urgency, speaking the urgency of the the mission. And one last thought as we close today, as you meditate on those 34 verses in the Gospel of John that speak about the sentness of Jesus, something you will see that urgency is a common thread. Urgency was the defining trait of the ministry of Jesus. And so it should be us because Jesus is going to return one day, maybe in our lifetimes, maybe in the one to come. And when he does, we want, we want to be found doing the ministry of re- reconciliation. We can easily get caught up, and we do, and all of us get, you know, fall into that trap of just getting caught up in our earthly needs, and we forget the spiritual poverty that surrounds us. But just like Pastor Ted reminded us last week, we have all been called by God according to the gifts that he has given us to be, to be about gospel ministry and reconciliation in the context that he has placed us. Let me quote again from Hebrews 12, which seems to have become somewhat of a theme verse for the the past couple weeks. Verses one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Just as Jesus was sent by the Father, he is now sent, He has now sent us on the same mission with the same posture, by the same spirit, to the same people. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your spirit is here working amongst us, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we were to respond to the call. Lord, we're called into this mission of reconciliation. And in every way, in every place that is possible. And Lord, we just pray you continue to equip us. Give us courage. Lord, provide. Lord, as you, as, as you told your disciples, the Holy Spirit is there to bring to us remembrance those things that you have said. And Lord, would you do that, Lord, as we just seek to, to live a life worthy of your sacrifice and worthy of the calling that you've given us for your glory in Jesus' name. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.